Okay. Uh, well, welcome to another Thoughts On. This one is brought to you by Cliff Family Winery. Um, Zinfandel this year. It's pretty good. Give it a little test. Nice. Okay. What I wanted to talk about today is the difference or differentiating stiffness from stability. I think a lot of times these get conflated. And I don't necessarily know if it, it causes confusion or is all that big of a problem. But understanding the difference between the two, I think, will help coaches better program for their athletes uh, to hopefully get better results, right? Um, so a lot of times we use the word stability um, to as this all-encompassing term for just a high-functioning core, someone that has a stable core. Uh, but really what we mean a lot of times when we say stability is we mean stiffness. And stiffness is the ability to essentially resist change in position by an external force acting on the torso, such as gravity pulling it into flexion if you're doing a deadlift, um, you know, or, or whatever, what have you. <clears throat> and most of the time when we're doing weightlifting stuff, strength training stuff, you know, good mornings, RDLs, kettlebell swings, all that kind of stuff, we're trying to stiffen the spine. And when you stiffen the spine well, you're able to better transfer force from the lower extremity typically into the upper extremity, so to, to move a barbell. But stability is, uh, while it is generally used to encompass both stiffness and stability, stability is really more about controlling motion. So you can be, um, of course, stiff and stable at the same time, but when when the differentiation between these two becomes significant or, or meaningful, is what I mean, uh, is when we start moving. So we don't necessarily want our spine to be stiff if we're doing something that requires a large range of motion or we have to move very quickly because the stiffer a joint is or a to the torso is, the, the more resistant it is to movement. So if you want to be very, very explosive and very, very fast with that segment, with that joint, then it needs to be less stiff, right? Because it has to move quickly. So that's an, that's an important distinction that I think gets a little bit confused. Um, now, where, where it gets a little bit in the weeds when we're talking about stability um, is, you know, really, really high-end stability is, is going to be the ability to kind of um, manage joint position, right? And managing joint position is all about... Um, keeping the joint in the right position to start big and we'll get a little bit smaller here. Um, when, we're, when, when you're talking about the proper position for a joint or the proper movement, we need to get into you know, what goes into joint position management. So when you're thinking about joint position management, like what are the factors that are involved to keep a joint in the right place, whether you're moving or you're static? And you can really break it down broadly into two into two subjects or two categories. You can have passive tissues like um, ligaments and cartilage, um, meniscus, the labrum, that kind of a thing. And then also you can have active tissues, and those are going to be mainly your muscles. And of course, the nervous system is involved on both sides, both in the perception um, and the action. But uh, really, the active and passive structures come together to manage joint positioning. And every joint is going to have different levels of contribution from each of those. You know, for example, the femoral acetabular and the glenohumeral joint are both, um, are, are both ball and socket joints. But obviously, the, the depth of the socket 
is much, much larger and more encompassing in the femoral acetabular joint than it is in the glenohumeral joint. Um, it's, I've heard it said before that the glenohumeral joint is, is more of a ball on saucer joint than a ball and socket. Um, so that means that the glenohumeral joint has a lot less of its joint position management coming from passive structures, whereas the femoral acetabular joint is going to have a much, much larger percentage coming from the passive structures. All joints, though, are going to require a combination of those two structures for the most part. Um, okay, so when we're talking about joint position management, I think that it's it's important to really dig into a concept that we talk about in DNS quite a bit called functional joint centration. And broadly speaking, that is just the right position for the joint. But when we start digging into it and what exactly is going on here, um, joint position, or sorry, functional joint centration is really all about having a synergy and coactivation of all the muscles around a joint, right? So the glenohumeral joint is a pretty easy example um, if we're thinking of just the rotator cuff, right? If you want to keep the humeral head, that little ball, um, properly seated in the glenoid, the socket, then you have to have this really, really good synergy and coactivation of let's just pretend it's only the rotator cuff. But the rotator cuff is going to wrap around almost 360 degrees that ball so that the body is or the brain is able to make micro adjustments as you're going through a movement to keep that ball properly seated in the socket. Now, what is properly seated in the socket here? Well, what that is, is, is no matter what position the joint is in or what movement the joint is going through, you, when the joint is in the right position and thereby is functionally centrated, you want to be, or the, the bone, the bones must be lined up in such that you're maximizing utilization of the, of the, the, the bone, the osseous surface area for stability, okay? And when you maximize the surface area, you increase what's called the area of distribution, right? So you have the same amount of force that's in a larger area of distribution, and that reduces the pressure on the given tissue there, okay? And pressure is force over area. So if you have a larger area of distribution, you obviously, even with the same force or given the same force, you have a, a reduction in the actual pressure on any given tissue. Now, this is important because when you have proper uh, centration, you're going to have minimal, the minimum possible load on any of the passive structures. And you're also going to have um, distribution of, of the work amongst all the muscles around the joint as opposed to what often happens in dysfunctional joints, which is you get hyperactivity of some secondary to inhibition or inactivity of others. And so if you have a centrated joint, you have that distribution of all the muscles around the joint, and you have the significant added benefit of, of minimizing any of the load, if you will, or pressure on any of the passive tissues. And the less pressure that is applied to the tissue, um, the less pathology will, will um, form or the, the less pathological adaptation, such as the bone thickening, like um, osteophytes or... Um, stenosis or whatever, what have you. Um, and then that's going, to, that's going to make the person's body last longer, right? We're also maximizing utilization of the, the, the available 
osseous surface area, so force distribution is going to be a lot better, right? If you've got a greater area of distribution, you can tolerate greater amounts of force to go through that joint, okay? So that's really the definition for stability, okay? And that's a, that's a high bar to meet, right? That requires an absolute crap ton of sensory motor integration. This is, of course, something for a different podcast. But I, I, I wanted to go into detail there because if you have a joint that's not moving, it's possible that you can be using um, the overloading the passive structures. We see this quite often. Or if you have someone going through a movement, you're going to have, you know, potentially sort of bouncing around on there, which is going to be usually attributed to linear movement, right? So if I'm bringing my glenohumeral joint through abduction, raising my arm up away from my side, a lot of times you'll have patients that'll say, oh, yeah, I can feel it sort of like clicking and thudding around in there. Well, that's unwanted movement. And a joint that is stable is able to prevent unwanted movement, right? That's another. So, right, a stable joint, it's in the right place. Um, stable movement, you're also able to, to go a little bit deeper. You're, you're able to prevent unwanted movement. And then probably the, the highest definition, the most in-depth definition is going to be stable joints are able to maintain functional centration, which goes into that co-activation of the muscles and all that kind of stuff. So when we're thinking about core training or trunk stability training, whatever you want to call it, I want you to realize that just because you can stiffen your spine and you train stiffness doesn't mean you actually have a stable spine. When I was thinking about this, you actually probably get an inverse relationship between the extent to which you can stiffen your spine and how stable it is in complex movements that might involve large ranges of motion um, or you have to move very, very quickly, okay? So let's, let, let's just think of two examples. You've got one where you have, you know, the power lifter. You got this power lifter who's able to you know, deadlift, say, 800 pounds. Well, to, to deadlift 800 pounds, you have to stiffen your spine tremendously um, to, to resist that, that massive bending force pulling you into flexion. And those athletes that can do such a thing can stiffen their spine that much. They don't tend to be the ones that, are, that have these humongous ranges of motion and you know, their movements are very, very sort of eloquent and smooth and controlled, right? They're going to be the ones that, that are much more on the stiff end of the scale. So if you train stiffness, you might actually lose some of your stability at the extreme other end of the spectrum, which is speed of movement and also range of motion. So they're not going to have as much control in those things. If you look at the other side of the spectrum, like a Cirque du Soleil you know, performer or athlete, they have to have this gigantic range of motion and they have to have a tremendous amount of motor control to, to maintain, you know, maybe they're balancing on one hand, right? I mean, so there's a lot going on there. Well, these athletes aren't the same athletes that are deadlifting 500 pounds, 600 pounds, or 1,000 pounds, right? So their ability to stiffen their joints or stiffen their spine is going to be hindered by the fact that they have to be training on the extreme other end of the spectrum here. And that's kind of the distinction that I want you guys to make. When you're thinking about trunk stability training, you want to kind of divide it into stability and stiffness training. So there, there are times when you need to be training stiffness. If you, if, you, if you start, if you think about sports, we're trying to prepare an athlete for a sport. And that sport oftentimes has, you know, significant emphasis on one or the other of these, you know, so, you know, an example, 
you know, like I said, if you're if, if it's a power lifter, they need to be able to stiffen their spine tremendously to be able to deadlift or to back squat or to bench press for that matter. So that's a, an example of a sport where almost all of the emphasis is on stiffness. But in other sports, there might be areas where they need to be able to stiffen their spine a lot, and then also they need to be able to move their spine a lot. So soccer players, if, if they're gonna if they're gonna cut, you know, playing soccer, they're gonna stiffen their spine and they have to stiffen that plant leg so that they're able to actually accelerate in the other direction. And the more that they can turn this on and off, the more um, elitely they're gonna be able to perform. So every sport is gonna have varying degrees of emphasis on each one of these really at different times. The training sports are a little bit more unique because they're kind of doing one thing at a time. Whereas if you're playing another sport, uh, especially team sports and you know what I call reaction sports, that's going to be much, much more challenging because they're going to need to be able to have mastery over both ends of the spectrum. You know, if you think about tennis, that's a great example. You know, when you're serving in tennis, you need to be able to stiffen your spine, you know, when you're hitting the ball, but you also need this gigantic range of motion and obviously a ton of motor control so that you can precisely hit the hit the ball back where you want it to with the right spin and all that kind of stuff. So when you're thinking about programming for an athlete, I want you to divide between stiffness and stability, or at least think about those things. And you want to really start with the, the sport and work backwards. So think about it like, well, right, well what are the requirements for the sport? Um, and then you know, you're going to think, okay, well, this, they need to be able to stiffen their spine a lot. So maybe you emphasize that more. Or they need to be able to really have more large ranges of motion. And if based on whatever the sport demands, you're then going to program your core work, so to speak, um, leveraging or excuse me, emphasizing one or the other, maybe a little bit more, you know, because a lot of the exercises that we do tend to be small ranges of motion, and they tend to emphasize stiffness. So you know, your your planks, um, your, your your side bridges, you know, the bird dogs, you know, or you know, a lot of times people, you know, they say like, oh, you don't need to do core stuff; you just need to squat. Okay, well, that's cool, but that's a stiffness exercise. That's not a stability exercise. And you need to make that distinction in your programming so that your athletes are prepared for whatever their sport demands. So when you're, when you're programming, just try to sit down and think about that instead of just you know, writing up a bunch of core exercises that, you know, on there that most likely are either very, very small ranges of motion um, or they're, they're likely going to be stiffness exercises and not stability exercises. So think about that next time you're programming and hopefully that'll kind of help uh, clarify or clear up, you know, that what you're doing with that athlete and the purpose behind what you're programming, so that you're able to get that athlete to where they need to be um, sooner than later. So hopefully uh, you guys will benefit from that. Please uh, comment below uh, or message me or whatever. Love to chat about this stuff. Love to hear what you guys think. And uh, I'm going to get back to my glass of wine. So have a good one. <laughs>